You're listening to an IOE podcast. Powered by UCL Minds. This is Research for the Real World. Conversations with researchers about the paths they've taken to shape our everyday lives. This is Research for the Real World, conversations with researchers about the paths they've taken to help shape everyday lives. Hi, I'm Jo Nicholl and I'm a lecturer in science education here at the IOE. And in this season of Research for the Real World, we want to highlight research that examines how we can recruit and retain more teachers. This is because we know that teachers are a key influence on young people and their lives, but currently Teacher shortages are one of the main challenges faced by education systems in many countries, including here in England. So on this episode, I am delighted to be talking to Emily McLeod. Emily is in her final year of her PhD in the Department of Education, Practice and Society at the IOE. She is a fellow co-host of the Research for the Real World podcast. She was a former secondary school French teacher and joined the IOE in 2017. Before starting her PhD, Emily worked on the Aspires Project, which is a national study that surveyed over 60,000 young people in England and has tracked young people's careers from the age of 10 to the age of 22. Emily's PhD research examines who aspires to become a teacher when they're older and why. And then she examines whether or not young people realise or drop their teaching aspirations into adulthood. During her PhD, Emily's worked at the House of Commons Education Select Committee and undertook research at McGill University in Canada to look at science teacher aspirations in both the UK and Canada. So welcome to being on the receiving end of the podcast, Emily. Thank you so much, Joe. It's so nice to be here. But yeah, as you say, a bit a bit strange being on the other side and not being the interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> it is very nice to have the opportunity to, to interview you after learning from you doing the interview. So welcome. I'm going to start just by finding out a bit about yourself. And I thought it would be great to hear about how you became involved in working in education research. Yeah, so... As you say, I was a French teacher, so I I did my undergraduate degree in French uh, and then I became a French teacher in the north of England, which I really love, especially the trips to France were a particular highlight, bringing lots of students to, to France, sometimes just for the day, which was quite an effort. So I really enjoyed teaching. And while I was a teacher, I did a master's in education And that was kind of my first, like, link into more detailed sociology of education compared with my teacher education that I'd had. And that kind of links with where I am now. So that sociology of education kind of widened my, like, broadened my understandings of young people's, how young people's circumstances and experiences can affect their, like, educational experiences and also their life chances. So then when I moved areas, I moved to London and I thought, 
well, I really liked that master's. I wonder if I can work in uh, education research. And at the time, I, I didn't actually know anyone that, that worked in a university. So I imagined going to work for a, a charity and I was just searching education research jobs. And I ended up getting a job on the Aspires project, which you mentioned in at the start of the interview, which is a really fascinating, huge national project. And it's longitudinal, which means we've tracked young people's career aspirations from the age of 10 and the cohort are now 23, which is so fascinating. And my role on that was a bit of day-to-day project management, a, di- a bit of project administration and budgets and stuff, but also some data collection. And when the the uh, project funding came to an end and my job ended. I was so keen to carry on working with the project and the lovely team and my supervisor, or my now supervisor, Louise Archer, that we kind of looked into how I could get some funding to do a PhD using some of that data. And with my teaching background, I kind of realised working in education research that I wasn't the only person to have left teaching and that this is actually a a systemic issue that teachers often leave so we we kind of found a way for for me to use some of the data in Aspires which I'm really lucky to do now to look into teacher recruitment. Fantastic okay so so obviously you're doing your PhD at this moment? Yeah I'm just in the final months of it so I'm coming to the end of it soon yeah. You're coming to the end, brilliant. I mean, how's that journey been? And now that you're coming to the near the end of it, how have you found the whole journey itself? Yeah, it wasn't something that I ever anticipated or planned to do, though I think a lot of people who end up doing education research find that because a lot of us start out as a teacher. I've really loved it. I think it's been such an amazing experience. I should say that I know that I'm very lucky that I've been able to have funding for the last three and a half years, which has enabled this to be my full-time job. And I think that often we think of PhD students as students uh, like that. But but I, I consider this my job and, and I know that that's a privilege to be able to say because not everyone ha- gets to work on it full-time. <laughs> and I know yourself included, Jay. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's been been a fantastic experience. And I think that one of the things that's made it really great is that because I was a member of the project team before I started, I had a ready-made group of colleagues, which I think that meant that it was, especially during the pandemic, which started only six months after I started the PhD, a much less isolating experience than I know it could have been. Yeah, and as you say, I've been lucky to be able to I had a secondment to the Education Select Committee, which was a really fascinating experience because as researchers, we're often trying to get our research heard by policymakers. So that was really interesting to be on the other side of, of that desk for a short time in 2021. And then, yeah, last year I spent three months in Canada where I was able to speak French again. <laughs> so it, it came, came all back around. And that was really interesting to kind of work in a new project, work with a different team in a new environment and bring together what I've learned from Aspires and UCL. And I was at King's College London for a bit as well to look and see how young people in a different country with different systems and looking at teachers there and 
the different ways that people can become a teacher there to kind of bring it all together. So I, I think I've had a, a very lucky, fortunate and positive PhD experience and I, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. Though I'm aware that perhaps the worst is yet to come with the final months ahead. <laughs> I, I hear that it's, it's not the best bit coming up, but uh, looking forward to, to getting my research out there more and more. I hear also the same about that that final bit of the the final push of the PhD is probably the worst bit. I'm further further away from it than you are. So I, you know, (laughs) I feel more for you. But I think, you know, the fact that you've had to do it full time has, like you say, been been an amazing opportunity for you, but then very intense, I think, Mm. you know. And you've done an incredible amount during that time. But yeah, in terms of just about the select committee quick, quickly, tell, mm. tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the select committee is a group of 11 MPs from all different political parties, all with an interest in education. And my role was being a committee specialist. So there were a group of around four or five of us. And our role was to brief the MPs, both with oral briefings and written briefings briefings and each week the committee held an evidence session and they learned about lots of the experts in a particular area and it was really different to being a PhD student where you've got this really long-term book that you're writing this really long-term project where you become an expert in something Whereas there, you'd have to become an expert really quickly in something to be able to brief the MPs on a topic before they went in and questioned experts on something. So one of the inquiries that I found really interesting was prison education, which is just an area that I hadn't thought about or looked into at all before. So it was really a great experience to be able to learn about different areas of education that I wouldn't normally do and to just broaden my not only experience but my knowledge of different educational areas because in a PhD the point is to become this expert in this one tiny field and it was quite a nice break to be able to actually like have a wider view of education yeah yeah fantastic and talking about that that PhD and how you know niche the topic is and how you become such an expert in it tell us a little bit about your research if you can to start with so as you said I I was working on the Aspires project before and the Aspires project briefly has tracked young people's career aspirations for the last I think it's 12 years so while when the project started the young people were in primary school and now that they're 23 they are entering the world of work or they've been in work for a few years if they didn't go into university and so my research looks at whether young people expressed an interest or an aspiration to become a teacher as they grew up and then whether they maintain that over time or they dropped it and then now that they're at the start of the world of work did they become a teacher or not (laughs) and why so I'm really lucky to be able to have such longitudinal data and it's really fascinating because we have these expectations of you know lots of people want to become footballers and celebrities and that is true to a degree and then we're able to see do they become those things at the end of it yeah so it's a really fascinating data set and we've we've got survey data as you said but we've also got this longitudinal interviews and we've also interviewed young people's parents as well to get that extra depth about young people's family backgrounds and how that 
how I'm looking at it in terms of teacher recruitment and retention is specifically on the topic of teacher recruitment. So I'm looking at whether or not these people joined the profession of teaching or joined initial teacher education by the age of 23 or not. And that's really interesting to be able to track whether or not they planned that or if they did it just on a whim, because I think we have these views about sometimes teachers have always always wanted to teach and whether or not that is true to a, to, to a degree. And currently, a lot of research in this area kind of has the same aims as mine, but asks people who were already teachers, why did they join teaching? Which is really interesting, especially if they target people who've just joined teacher education, because it gives that kind of fresh outlook. But of course, it's always retrospective if people have already chosen to teach. And it's only people who are teachers. So I'm able to look at people who said that they might want to become teachers and then didn't, which kind of gives that fresh perspective on the topic of teacher recruitment, because I have why didn't people become teachers as well as why they did. It it kind of brings me back to thinking about why I became a teacher and whether I wanted to be a teacher when I was younger. Um, (laughs) How does it fit for you? Does it, Uh, you know... Completely. I ask... I. I ask myself that question a lot and I'm not quite sure. And same with why I left as well. I think we kind of, we create these narratives about how things happened and why we made decisions. And that's not always how they happened. I'm very aware with this longitudinal data that I've got. But I I don't think that I always wanted to become a teacher. And I think that I was drawn to it to try and make a difference, which a lot of people say. And yeah, when I left as well, I don't remember being really cognizant of the fact that I was leaving the profession and that I thought, oh, well, I'll just try something else for a bit Uh, and maybe I'll go back to the profession in the future. But now looking at it with more of a research hat and I think, oh, when was the point that I chose to enter and when was the point that I I left? Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to 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 track. I need to have this longitudinal data on everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of, yeah. I mean, I'm already thinking about when I thought I was going to be a teacher and why. But you're right. I think maybe the the, the golden narrative is not really the one that plays out. If mm. someone had asked you there and then about it in that moment exactly. I, I think my parents always told me when I was young oh you'll be a teacher and I I don't really remember saying yes to that but you're <laughs> right I think there was a moment in my life where I turned around and thought no the world the world is too interesting to you know or education is too interesting to to not play a part in it yeah I mean in in terms of your PhD so far then it sounds super interesting and the fact that you you know you get into to look at these children's aspirations over a very long time, really. What have you found so far in terms of why people aspire to become a teacher? I think that in terms of the people who aspired to become a teacher and then became a teacher, the... there's kind of three key findings or themes from the data that I found. The first of which is that the decision or the choice to become a teacher isn't made overnight, which perhaps sounds very obvious, but because the research that we have in this field at the moment relies on this retrospective, why did you choose to become a teacher? There's this implied understanding that 
people choose to become a teacher because of one thing. So you mentioned, for example, that your parents suggested it and encouraged it. Some people say that their own teachers inspired them and all of these things do play a part. But what I found using this data that spans 12 years was that actually that pathway to becoming a teacher or that trajectory wasn't one directional people went towards it and then they went away from it and they were at times more interested in teaching at times less and actually all of the young people in my sample who did become a teacher encountered quite some difficulties along the way that they had to navigate for example one young person wanted to do a pgce or a postgraduate certificate of education which is the most common route to becoming a teacher but because she was doing it in the pandemic, the bursary that was available, like that payment that was available to her, changed while before she entered teaching. And then she ended up changing her route as a result. So lots of there's lots of different like navigations to becoming a teacher. And I think that viewing it as a decision that's not made overnight can really help us think about teacher recruitment. Because I think that we often think like, oh, where can we target people? Where can we recruit them from? And I think that this research shows that there isn't one perfect age. I think university students are probably the most because they're they're thinking about all the options available to them, but school students too. But I, I think that a variety of those options is useful there because people don't make it at one point in time even though perhaps we think about it retrospectively like that we try and like dilute it or dissolve it into one one decision the other thing that really made people both aspire to become a teacher and then seemed really important in why a really important factor in why they became teachers was actually like you said this encouragement and support from people but particularly from other teachers so either if someone's parents or family members were teachers or had been teachers or their own teachers supported them, encouraged them, recognised them as a teacher. And again, I think that that probably sounds not that surprising, but in terms of this wider context that we're talking in where we need more teachers, I think there are two quite potentially worrying consequences of that. And the first is that if we're reliant upon teachers, existing teachers, recognizing and supporting and encouraging young people to become teachers then we really need the current teacher workforce to be happy to be wanting people to join them to be thinking it's a great job as we know as you hinted at we've got this retention crisis with the current teacher workforce and we know that teachers are facing quite heavy workloads so whether or not that that's happening as much as it should is quite an issue potentially And the second kind of potential issue arising from that finding that people were quite dependent on this encouragement from people within the profession is that who is supported and encouraged to become a teacher was quite varied. So the current teacher workforce, most teachers, definitely not all, but most teachers in England identify as white British and most people who are teachers in England identify as women. And that kind of creates this social image or of, a, of a typical teacher as a white woman. And I think that that can have an effect on then who is encouraged and supported to become a teacher is it always white women? I don't think that that's 
like a hard and fast rule, of course, but my research definitely highlighted this pattern that some people were more obviously supported in becoming a teacher, whereas very similar behaviours, for example, in boys, were recognised as, oh, you'd be a good leader, you'd be a good businessman. And I think that there's something there about, yeah, who do we recognise and support as a teacher? The final thing that I found in terms of who became a teacher was actually that for some, it was very much a backup choice. So I've got one young person in my sample who wanted to work in media, but that didn't work out. So she decided to work in marketing, but then that didn't work out. So she wanted to be a lecturer and then that didn't work out. And then she ended up being a teacher. And when I spoke to her while she was in her teacher education, she really loved it and was planning to stay in the profession long-term, which is great. She felt like she'd made the right decision. But really interestingly, the way that she kind of spoke about that choice to become a teacher, like I've just hinted at, it was this long-term decision-making process. But she kind of implied that it was always meant to be and that she'd actually taught her friends and family when she was younger. And we have this like social awareness of teaching. It's often said to be a calling or a vacation. And that does have some consequences, I think, for teacher recruitment if perhaps you don't recognise yourself as having this vocation or someone doesn't think that you're called to be a teacher, does that perhaps put people off becoming a teacher? Because myself, having been through teacher education, I would say that teaching isn't a calling, but it's something that you can develop with expertise and training. But perhaps more amongst young people, perhaps amongst people who haven't taught, there is very much this discourse of, or you're, you're destined to be a teacher, or you're meant to be a teacher, you'd make such a great teacher. And it seemed that actually people within teaching were using that a little bit, which does raise some questions about what it means for people who don't feel like that. Yeah, absolutely. If you've not got people telling you you're, you'd be good at it, or if you've not got people you know that you can identify with and as that are, that are doing it, it it's, it's problematic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that there are ways to kind of improve that, like teaching like experiences and things like that kind of might provide the opportunity for some of those things that are missing. But it it doesn't paint a great picture in terms of (laughs) um, whether we're going to solve this teacher recruitment crisis. Mm. Um, When you say teacher experience, what do you mean by that, Emily? Mm. Do you mean getting them into the classroom? Yeah, so quite a few of the young people that I spoke to, because these were people who had expressed an interest in teaching, quite a lot of them had, for example, worked as a sports coach during the summer, or had done some tutoring whilst they were at university, or had done some babysitting. And some of the research kind of hints that maybe that can help people become teachers. And I've found that it definitely doesn't hurt because it doesn't make people think, oh, I don't want to be a teacher when they've had experiences like that. But also it doesn't seem to be the that kind of tipping point. There are multiple other factors, like I said, about the support from people within the profession and being recognised as someone who might fit in that profession and other things are sadly going wrong that make people teachers. They were more effective in people or more impactful on upon people's journeys towards teaching wow 
Got you. Uh, and, they, and, you know, when you're thinking about people um, and their aspirations, and you, you hinted out there that, you know, I'm assuming, is there a, a larger number of people that want to be teachers when they're younger and those aspirations change into something else? Or is it, no, is it the other way around? No, it was remarkably consistent, actually. So I'm fortunate with the Aspires data that I've we've got this large survey data from young people at six different ages, between the ages of 10 and 21. And actually when we asked how open people are to teaching so this isn't necessarily whether or not young people definitely aspire to teaching but whether or not they consider it a third of young people at all ages so whether they're still in primary school whether they're at different points in secondary school or at the end of university or in work all expressed an interest in teaching and I think that is really promising but I also think it hints at teaching being a common backup career and I think that's where we have a problem. I think that loads of people appreciate the work of teachers and value the difference that they make and see that 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 is a rewarding job but other parts of the profession, other assumptions about the work of teachers mean that it's not seen as something always to aspire to as a first choice yeah yeah wow one third yeah it would I be mean, great if, even if, yeah, if more of even them if half of those went yeah, in yeah yeah and even when we asked people to type in their explicit exact aspirations about six percent of young people again each year it was very consistent wrote down that they wanted to become a teacher and by my calculations six percent if all of them became teachers we the problem would be solved so I think that again it, it's something about teaching being an aspiration amongst several and not necessarily the first for people yeah yeah which, yeah, which goes on to sort of thinking about as well, if 6% of those people want to and do indeed become teachers, I guess it's, it's in comparison to the other options that are out there. Mm. And, and even when we're talking about, you know, recently with teacher salaries and things like that, they have to be comparative. I know some of your research was also on why people didn't choose to go in or to become, in particular science was one of the things that you focused on. Maybe this is a good time to ask why people decided not to go in to becoming a science teacher or teacher as a whole. Yeah, so that was an additional focus of my research. So I looked at five young people in depth with my qualitative data, with that longitudinal interview data, who all of whom could have become science teachers because they all had science degrees and they had all expressed an interest in teaching. And for them especially, teaching was a backup, in fact. For some of my other participants who weren't science specialists, teaching was something that they came and went and was sometimes a first aspiration, sometimes not. For science, it was always a second choice aspiration. And I think the first the first finding that I think is really important to say here is that it wasn't always teacher pay that put them off. So often people assume that because generally people in science and non-teaching careers earn more than teachers, that must be the answer. Whereas I found that these young people hadn't always worked before because 
they've gone through education, most of them, um, or in fact, all of these young people had done a science degree, so they'd not necessarily joined the workforce. And that, I think, meant that the perception of teacher pay wasn't that thing that put them off teaching. The second thing that perhaps was more important was the way in which young people viewed the work of scientists compared with the work of teachers. So young people assumed that working in science would be really exciting, would be working at the cutting edge of science, would be changing all the time, would be solving a society's problems. Whereas compared to teaching, they often assumed that teaching was simply the work of teachers that you as a school student see. So that classroom work, and they often associated it with quite repetitive behaviour and thought that, oh, if I'm a teacher one year, it will be the same the next year and the next year. Whereas my own experience of teaching, and perhaps yours too, was that that's not the case. Being a teacher changes regularly. It's not very repetitive. There's always new challenges uh, and interesting things to the cropper. And in fact, actually, on the flip side, I've spoken to scientists who say, actually, working in science isn't always working at the cutting edge of science. Isn't always really exciting and, uh, and challenging like that. So I think that we've got this dichotomy between teaching and science at both extremes and that neither are quite realistic or, or representative of the work of e either of those things and that really I think affects when people think about oh I've got a science degree what can I do or I want to work in science where, um, when I'm older what shall I do with it the work of teachers how we see them as school students really influences whether or not we want to then become a teacher and that's quite a difficult issue when you think about it because I'm not quite sure how we can broaden young people's awareness of the work of teaching. It makes me yeah I mean because I used to be a science teacher myself I mean it really does make me think about you know the enormous amount of work that, that science teaches into to making science you know feel accessible be attractive you know making sure that people feel included and that they can do it and on all of those initiatives but I've never thought about it in terms of, you know, for myself, I don't belong to that industry. You know, I belong to the teaching profession. I belong to education. And that dichotomy is quite interesting because they're both quite big drivers within, I think, our society. You know, trying to increase the, you know, the participation in, in things like, you know, science, technology, engineering, and maths in STEM. But then having you know, this crisis, and it is a crisis, let's let's face it, you know, this teacher shortages and retention is, is, a, is an absolute crisis. I think you're right. I think the, the way that we see scientists and the way that we see teachers socially and specifically amongst young people, they're very different. And I'm not sure that that exists always with different teaching specialisms or to the same degree as it does in different teaching specialisms, yeah. And maybe it's something to do with the way that, that we we do regard science as being a good career to go into. People aspire to it, some people anyway, not everyone, that is regarded as well paid, which I know that is not, not something that you found, but, you know, underlying maybe these other, you know, more attractive careers is fascinating. The only other thing that kind of cropped up that links with that is that I think to become a scientist, I think there are, there are many different 
roots into science, but it's quite known that you do a undergraduate degree in science. And then for a lot of people in science, there's often a master's and or a PhD, but not necessarily always. Whereas to become a teacher in England, there are multiple routes into teaching and young people weren't always aware of those routes. Some of them who had maybe a stronger or a longer term interest in teaching had looked into, for example, the PGCE route, that most common route into teaching. But that's only one of around seven or eight routes into teaching that there are today. And young people weren't always aware of those things. It's quite a complex system to become a teacher, whereas to become other graduate, uh, to join other graduate careers is perhaps a bit maybe not simpler, but easier to find out about. There are less options that offer seemingly the same. Mm, Yeah. And it's probably very timely, you know, given, you know, the way in which we are changing the different routes into teaching. It's becoming almost more complex, I'm finding, even as a, as a, you know, teacher educator, I'm finding the routes, you know, and who can offer them and who accredits them is changing, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Exactly. Well, I think maybe put the nail on the head. If you're finding it complex and complicated, then young people who maybe haven't got the resources to be able to find out about all the opportunities available in how to become a teacher might struggle to understand all the different routes available and which ones are going to be right for them. Oh yeah, it's 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 a really interesting time for teacher recruitment. I think your PhD is going to come out at exactly <laughs> exactly the right time. It, it needs a little bit more insight into it. What I was thinking there was, you know, based on all this really interesting data that you've collected and the findings that you've come up with. I mean, if you could have the opportunity to give the government three main pieces pieces of advice to improve the recruitment and retention of teachers, what would they be? Yeah, I think that's such a good question. So three things. First, I would say that in order to recruit more teachers, we need to be looking after the teaching profession. So I'm not a researcher into the current work, the teaching workforce and the work of teachers, but I'm aware, for example, that teachers are currently on strike to do with issues of pay and workload. And as my research has found, we need teachers in the profession to be encouraging the next generation of teachers. And if people in the current profession aren't feeling safe and looked after, then those two issues of teacher recruitment and retention, even though they're quite separate issues when you think about it, there is that strong link between them. So I think first, we need to be looking after the current workforce. The second thing I would say is make it easier to become a teacher. So there are multiple ways to do that. But as we've as we've just discussed, the ways to become a teacher in England at the moment are so complex and they offer each route offers a a variety of different benefits. So it's not an attack on any one route, but just the amount of routes is very complicated for young people to try and navigate and find out which one is going to suit them the best. So really consider how we can make teaching more accessible the way that people think it is. Teaching is known as something that people can go into after having a degree in almost anything. That jump from having a degree to becoming a teacher 
I've found is often much more complex than people expect it to be. They come across these obstacles. And the last thing I would say is we need to stop talking about teaching as a calling or a vocation. The way that society recognises teaching as this gift or characteristic or skill that people just innately have, I think can be quite damaging for teacher educators, for teacher education. We need to view it as this profession that we can train in, that we can develop our expertise in with experience, with training and education. So I think that that would be my bottom line, to stop thinking about teaching as a calling. I don't think that's helpful for recruitment. (laughs) Brilliant. I think they all sound like really sensible recommendations, which I'm sure will hopefully be taken forward in more work from you as we see over the net after your PhD submission. Yes, that's the plan. Fingers crossed. Watch the yeah. space. Thanks, Emily. It's been super interesting to learn more about all of your research and, and your career, but especially hearing those recommendations, how to help us in this crisis of a teacher shortage. Thank you. You can follow Emily on Twitter at E.E. McLeod. That's at E-E-M-A-C-L-E-O-D to learn more about her research. Some of what we've covered today is also available in the episode notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, we have an archive of 18 past seasons. Search IOE Podcasts from wherever you get your podcasts to find episodes for research for the real world, as well as more podcasts from the IOE. And a quick favour before you go. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd really appreciate it if you could give the IOE podcast a rating. Five stars would be nice if you're really enjoying the show. And that will help us reach more people who are interested in hearing about such important work. I'm Jo. Thanks for listening. Research for the Real World is produced by IOE Marketing and Communications and IOE Research Development. The theme music was created by Rob Cochran. Tatiana Sotero-Diaz is the series advisor. Amy Leibowitz is the series producer. And Jason Ilagin is the executive producer of the IOE podcast. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this IOE podcast. 